Hello, and welcome to the Dairy Defined podcast. Our guest today needs no introduction, but we'll try. Chairman of the Senate Agriculture Committee, former chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, former chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Kansas Republican Pat Roberts has made his mark in a half century in Washington and will leave his mark when he leaves the Senate upon his retirement in January. Senator Roberts, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Senator, you are leaving the Senate at an unusually turbulent time. That's a characterization that can be overdone, but the last election cycle was unique. Um, Of course, we have the pandemic. How does this turbulent moment compare to other turbulent moments of your career? I would say these are not the worst of times. I know that people think they are. I don't know how many people come up to me and say, why can't you uh, folks back there quit fighting and get something done? And I respond by saying, well, in the Agriculture Committee, we're a little different. We get along. Uh, we have the same constituency. And I have the um, good fortune to have a very good relationship with my ranking member. Uh, I used to be her ranking member. That This was not our first rodeo, and I'm talking about Deb Stavenaugh. I think I could say fairly safely that she's more of a liberal Democrat, and I'm a conservative Republican. But we both knew... Uh, with regards to ag, including dairy, by the way, uh, big time, dairy is always there in the 11th hour and 59th minute trying to get something uh, worked out, more especially with Pat Leahy. But we know that that is primary. We have to get a farm bill done. So whatever I want and whatever Deb wanted or anybody else on the committee is secondary to that goal. We also know we have to get 60 votes. Uh, I think we're pretty good at that. And um, we got a farm bill done in the Senate. It took us about a year. Uh, I went to Michigan State, it wore green and white. She went to K-State and wore purple. We went all over the countryside. Uh, crop insurance was the number one issue that everybody talked about without crop insurance during these very difficult times where our cost of production has been below below, below, below for four or five years. And um, very tough time in agriculture. So we knew we had to pass the farm bill. Uh, And we did that. We got 86 votes on the conference report. Pardon me, 87. I was trying to get 90. And I was uh, talking to some recalcitrant Republicans who, from an ideological standpoint, are just opposed to farm bills. And said, come on, guys, you can at least give me two votes. I think... uh, Mitch McConnell was looking at me and said, my Lord, you have 87 votes. What do you want? And I said, I want justice. He says, you don't want justice. You want blood. You know, being a Marine, why you don't give up, you take the hill. And if you can take the hill twice, why that's what we want to do. So we got a farm bill done. And I think that stands as a good example of how we have worked together and continue to work together on the Agriculture Committee. It can be done. Our biggest impediment, I think, is that we don't know one another. We come in here on a Monday night and vote, leave on a Thursday, and there's not too many social activities that you uh, where you can get together. Uh, the Codells are grounded, of course, with COVID and a lot of other social activities. A lot of people just adhere to whatever balkanization they have in their district or their state, and that proves a problem because if you don't know somebody, uh, you tend to ignore what they're saying, more especially if they make partisan speeches on the floor. I used to do that, and then I realized that when you did that, that, when you brought up an amendment, some people might not even know who you are, and they just vote no. 
So I quit that. You have two farm bills to your name uh, as the only person to chair both the House and Senate Agriculture Committee, Freedom to Farm in 1996 and the Agriculture Improvement Act of 2018, which you're just speaking of. What do you see as the legacy of Freedom to Farm? And what did you take away from that first experience that helped you guide the next time around? It was so damn tough. 40 years of ag program policy. We turned it on its head. And it was circumstantial. Uh, everything was certain in the uh, ag universe at that particular time. Uh, we were in the uh, in the Gingrich Revolution. John Kasich was the budget guy. Uh, he wanted to give us $6 billion. The average cost there during that time was about $18 billion. And I said that, you know, we can't write a farm bill with that. He turned it around and finally gave us nine. I went back. Uh, I was going back repeatedly to talk to my Ford County wheat growers and the Farm Bureau and uh, soybean folks and the corn folks, everybody, and uh, saying, we're uh, in a little bit of trouble here with the amount of money that we have available to us because of the budget. Well, a lot of people said, just increase the budget. Go talk to them, Pat. I said, well, that's a little different ballgame this time. And uh, Leon Torline, who is from east of Dodge, he has since passed away, but he was a wonderful farmer. And he stood up in the back. He says, I'm tired of loan rates. I am tired of set-asides. I'm tired of paying people not to grow anything. I'm tired of, you know, went through the whole rigmarole of all the regulations and everything that was government controlled with regards to agriculture. He said, Pat, just give me the freedom to farm my, uh, you know, my place, my, uh, you know, my ground. I know what to do. And he says, I'll, I'll plant for the market. Just give me freedom to farm. Bingo. That's where that came from. Now, of course, I took it back to staff. Staff, of course, thought that they did it. I thought I did it. But it was Leon Torline, which proves a point. It's exceedingly important you sit on the wagon tongue with farmers that you trust and uh, listen to them. And at that particular time, that started off with freedom to farm. Uh, we still have that. Farmers do not have a mandate to set aside things or to pay farmers or to have storage and or put grain in bins where there might be, not be any grain and all of that, uh, it, that we still have the freedom to farm. There are those who have talked about a set aside during these very tough times with COVID. That's a bad, bad road to take. Your competitors always increase their production by more than you set aside. You don't gain much except government payments and a lot of regulations. It was a very unique time. Uh, we were able to do things that perhaps we couldn't have done at any other time. But I was very proud of the fact that we finally got it passed after originally not getting it passed. And uh, uh, it was hard. It was hard. It was a whole year and a half before we got the doggone thing done. You just have to be like uh, uh, the Marines. We Marines take the hill. We don't give up. And we just keep fighting. Uh, back then, it was a year and a half. This one was about a year. I've been interviewing you since the year 2000, um, and as we were talking about before this call, one of the first articles I wrote for the Wichita Eagle in Washington was whether health issues would keep you from running for re-election in 2002. Uh, what's the secret to a half century uh, of longevity and, and relevance in Washington policy discussions? I came to Washington to be here one year. Senator Frank called me. I was out in Arizona. I was out of the Marine Corps, and I was trying to be the Paul Harvey of Arizona or the William Allen White of Arizona something. I had a weekly newspaper. I had a, a morning news program called the Scottsdale Roundup with KWBY, Cowboy, 
so I thought I was on my way to leave some kind of a career. I was single. I thought uh, a bachelor was a man who never made the same mistake once. And uh, then the senator called and said, would you be interested in coming back and uh, being my chief of staff? And that his chief of staff left for the Interstate Commerce Commission appointed by LBJ. Well, gosh, that's a, <laughs> you know, that's uh, something you can't turn down. So I went back to Washington and I worked for him for two years, uh, met Frankie. That was the end of bachelorhood. And um, we started out. She was working on the Hill for Strom Thurmond. I was working for Frank Carlson. That's how we met. And then Ricky Sibelius for 12. And then uh, some of the stalwarts of the GOP out there said, you ought to, you ought to consider running. Uh, Frankie said, that's what you've always wanted to do anyway. So that's what we did. And uh, 24 elections, you only lose one and you're out. So I'm very proud of that record. If there was a name on the ballot, I'm counting that. I never dreamed I would. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd be there two years and I'd go back to Arizona or Kansas, probably Kansas. And that didn't happen. Although I did go back to Kansas uh, in my capacity as a staffer and then also as a member of both House and Senate. So I've had a wonderful career. Um I'll say this, there are no self-made men or women in public office. It's your friends who make you what you are. In your career, if you had the chance, what would be your biggest do-over, and what do you wish you could have done more of? I enjoyed the Intelligence Committee a lot. I was uh, chairman there for four years. Uh, we were the ones that uh, conducted that inquiry, i.e. investigation, uh, that led to the discovery of a worldwide, inte worldwide intelligence failure uh, as to whether or not Saddam had uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction. I would have liked to stay on the committee, but uh, we flipped and the Democrats were in control. Uh, they were not exactly the greatest partners in the world when we were in control. And um, so I decided I would seek other pastures and I went to the finance committee. Uh, the leadership allowed me to do that. I had a passion for the Intelligence Committee. I wish I could have spent more time there. What lessons did you learn? Well, Saddam was a bad guy regardless, and he thought he had uh, WMD, uh, ironically. Uh, one Republican Guard unit thought the other one had it. The other one thought the other one had it. I don't think anybody told him he didn't. Yeah, if they did, they'd probably gone out feet first. Given that, and then given what he had done in the past and would be continuing to do, uh, it probably was justified uh, I don't know whether or not we would have had the support in the Congress had we known what we knew after a, a year's investigation. But I will say this, if you leave a, if you leave an area where there's been a problem like Afghanistan today and you're withdrawing troops, you leave a void. And if it's an area where they still have a lot of problems, and that's the case with Afghanistan, bad people fill it. And then you end up with a bigger problem down the road. It's, um, it's a difficult uh, kind of decision to make. Uh, given where we are and how many troops we have, et cetera, et cetera. But you talk about talking to farmers and, and finding solutions for agriculture issues. Um, but the agriculture community has a lot of challenges. Um, and a lot of challenges actually fall outside the Ag Committee's formal jurisdiction now. As you depart, what advice do you have for the members taking over the Ag Committee about how to make agriculture's voice heard in all areas and how do you do that in a time when legislation itself moves less often? Well, I would just say that I am very confident that the people who will be taking my place, uh, they have a lot of experience. Uh, 
they're good folks. Uh, I think the same uh, attempt, at least with regards to making it bipartisan, will continue. And uh, you just have to work as hard as you possibly can. We have a new administration. Uh, I think obviously they're going to be concentrating more on um, climate change. And uh, I hope it's not everything in that um, so-called manifesto with the Green New Deal and all of that. But uh, I'm a little worried about going back to re-regulation and uh, government controls on agriculture production. So I don't think that's where the committee wants to go. I think we will continue to do our work. And uh, I think we have some very good people that uh, will be taking over. And I intend to have my finger in the pie somewhere. <laughs> what challenges do you see lying ahead for the Congressional Agriculture Committees next year? Agriculture is always evolving. I mean, Kansas is even rising as a dairy state. We've got to give a plug for that. We're one of the fastest growing 300 dairy farms, home to 160,000 milk cows. We're now number 16 and going up. There's a 235 million dairy ingredient facility in Garden City, Kansas, America. That went uh, online 217. I was there. Uh, 66 new jobs to the area. It processes 84 truckloads of raw milk, 4 million pounds per day from dairy farms in southwest Kansas. Since 94, milk production in Kansas has doubled a $1 billion industry since 2008. Uh, Kansas dairies have increased milk production by 45%. Uh, 75% of all Kansas milk is now processed within the state. I so, applaud you. You're knowing your you audience, go. Senator. <laughs> there you go. So what do you see as some of the challenges for the committee ahead? Well, I think right off the bat, uh, when you're considering a new farm bill, it's a little early to be doing that. We have legislation that has to be passed. That's the Livestock Mandatory Inspection Program, um, or reporting program, pardon me, the Child Nutrition Reauthorization, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission uh, Reauthorization, and then the preparation for the next Farm Bill. The thing that I worry about the most is crop insurance. Uh, Bob Carey and I expanded that way back in the day. That saved a lot of farmers. It's absolutely essential. It's the number one issue that farmers bring up across the country when you go out and visit with them prior to a farm bill. There are people in the Congress who would like to use the crop insurance program for a bank. Matter of fact, there's a lot of farm programs that they'd like to use for a bank and uh, for whatever purpose they may have. And uh, we've always been able to stave that off. Uh, the first week of the Trump administration, I got in to see the president and he asked what I what he could do for me. And I said, save crop insurance, save it and improve it. Don't cut it. And he said, all right. And I said, you're doing that in your budget right off the bat. That's got farmers worried. So he got Mick Mulvaney on the line and they indicated that, uh, and then he forgot my name and said, farm guy here uh, says don't cut crop insurance. Mulvaney says uh, that would be Senator Roberts. And he said, yes, I think it is. And he said, uh, we're not cutting it, we're reforming it. Whereupon I described that statement as a lot of what we have in our Dodge City feedlots and let the president know that uh, we shouldn't be doing that. Now, one thing about it is president, president's budgets are, it's a talking point. Uh, we have our own budgets and we adhere to that. They have OMB, we have CBO. So um, 
I wasn't that worried, but I did. It, it was in the budget, and I did want to at least try to educate the president to the importance of the crop insurance program. And then the good thing was he called me farm guy for the next two years. You mentioned earlier that you hope to play some sort of role in the next farm bill process. Do you have any tip off of any future plans? Your your former is your your former colleague in the delegation, Senator Dole, has shown a post Senate career can be pretty long, even after decades of service. Well, if you live to be ninety seven, I think you can withstand about any. And he's in good health, and I call him every week, and I love the guy, and uh, he's been a great mentor, and uh, he's still got that sharp sense of humor, but. Uh, I don't know. We're, uh, we're going to wait until afterwards, after we get out, to make a final de- or any any decisions. That's what all the advice says. Don't make you know quick decisions. You may end up more busy than you were with the senator, and you don't as a senator you don't want to do that. So we'll see. And then if I say anything specific that I might be interested in, I have to report it to the ethics committee of which I was chairman, and I've been on it for twenty four years. I don't know what I've done to deserve that. With that, I'm going to have to take off and. Uh, and vote. I appreciate the opportunity. Go dairy. Alan, don't be a stranger. Thank you, Senator. Thank you. That's it for today's podcast. For more Dairy Defines, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iHeartRadio under the podcast name Dairy Defined. And you can read the Wichita Eagle on Kansas.com. Thanks for joining us and have a great week.